Welcome to Torah Today Ministries and our continuing series, Parsha Seasonings, where we look into details of the Torah scroll and Hebrew words, things that don't find themselves into our English translations. And Miketz is found in Genesis chapter 41.1 through 44.17. And it is one of two Torah portions that are one unbroken paragraph. Um, in the Torah scroll, this is where this is revealed, uh, there are no paragraph breaks whatsoever. And there are only two of these. And the first one was back in Vayetze, which is Genesis chapters 28 to 32. And um, the other one is this one, Miketz. So they form this one block in a Torah scroll. Now there's some similarities between uh, that Torah portion and this. And I went over them back when we were talking about Vyetse. You can go back and listen to that teaching. But um, I just find these things fascinating as part of the Parsha Seasonings series. I thought I would point this out to you as well. Now, something that um, we have not done yet in our story of Joseph is to point out the many parallels between Joseph's life and that of Yeshua. And I know I say this many times, but there is no individual in the Hebrew Scriptures whose life more closely parallels that of Messiah than Joseph. And uh, it, it's no wonder that God orchestrated that Mary's husband would be named Joseph and that Yeshua would grow up being known as Yeshua ben Yosef, the son of Joseph. And, um, and there's a spiritual aspect to this, and that is that Yeshua is the son of Joseph in that his life so much reflects the life of Joseph. More accurately, the life of Joseph foreshadows the life of Yeshua. Now, this may not fit, strictly speaking, into the parameters of the Parsha Seasoning series, but um, I think this is probably the best place to begin to introduce you to these, these many parallels. Uh, there are 42 obvious ones. If you just give a surface reading looking for them, there are 42 that should pop off the pages in the story of Joseph. But if you look deeper, you should find at least that many more. And it really is quite extraordinary to see how much these two lives parallel. So let's uh, start looking at some of these messianic parallels between Joseph and Yeshua. I'll group these by chapter. So we're going to be going back to Genesis chapter 37. And there we read that Joseph was a shepherd. And of course, Yeshua refers to himself as the good shepherd. And these numbers at the end of each line represent which verses in the chapter you will find these insights. Uh, he was sent as a mediator between the father and Joseph's brothers. And uh, so was Yeshua, a mediator between God and man. Joseph was especially beloved to his father. He was raised with the sons of weakness. Now, it says there in verse 2, he's raised with the sons of Bilhah. But Bilhah's name means weakness. And, of course, Yeshua was raised among human beings, and we are all very weak, aren't we? He's called a son of wisdom. And again, this is a bit hidden. It says in verse 3 that he was a son of Jacob's old age. But in the Aramaic translation, the Targum, 
which is found in the margins of some of our, uh, of a komish, if you have a Hebrew komish. It says, instead of a son of the old age, it will say a son of wisdom. He was the firstborn. Now you may think, well, wait a minute, Grant. Uh, Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob's sons. And you'd be correct. He was born first. But that firstborn status was given to Joseph. And we read about this in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Though Jodah became strong among his brothers, and the chief came from him, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph. So the birthright, which goes to the firstborn son, was passed on to Joseph. So why did Jacob skip over his first ten sons and go to Joseph, his eleventh son, to give him the firstborn status? Well, think of it this way. Had Jacob gone to the house of Laban, fallen in love with Rachel, just as the story tells us, and uh, worked seven years and married Rachel, and if Laban had not switched brides, would Jacob have ever married Leah or Bilhah or Zilpah? Probably not. He would have married Rachel, and Rachel's firstborn son was Joseph. So, spiritually speaking, as the, the firstborn of Jacob's heart and of his first love for Rachel, Joseph is the one who occupied that position. And so the birthright got passed on to Joseph. And of course, the, uh, the Brit Kadashah tells us that Yeshua is the firstborn of all creation. He was hated without a cause. That's called Sinat Kinam. His brothers were jealous of him and hated him. And Yeshua said, they have hated me without a cause. And the Talmud tells us that the temple, Herod's temple was destroyed due to hatred without a cause. He receives physical and spiritual rule. That's reflected in his two dreams. He was sent by his father. He was sent to a place of prior sin and disaster, Shechem. He arrived in the field. Now, when Yeshua would tell parables and he referred to the field, he would explain that the field is the world. So just as Joseph arrived in the field, Yeshua arrived in the world. He said, my brothers do I seek. And we know Yeshua came to seek and to save that which is lost. He found his brothers in double law. How do we arrive at that? Because they were not where they were supposed to be. They had moved on to another place called Dothan, and Dothan means double law, which also means legalism. They conspired to kill him. He was stripped of his garment. Lots were cast over his clothing. Now, I put a question mark there because, again, this is not found in the scriptures themselves, but it is recorded in the Mishdrash Rabbah, that when they took Joseph's cloak, dipped it in the goat's blood, they cast lots to decide who would take the coat to present it to their father Jacob. He was betrayed by Judah, just as Yeshua was betrayed by Judas. Judah and Judas are the same name. And he was sold for silver, just as Yeshua was. He was placed in the earth. The pit was unused, it was empty. And we read in Luke 23, 52-53, that the tomb in which Yeshua was placed had never been used before. 
Then after they do this dastardly deed, they sat down to a meal. And what did the Pharisees and Sadducees do after crucifying Yeshua and burying him? They sat down to their Seder meal. But Joseph came forth from the earth. He went among the Gentiles, went to Egypt. He was absent from his brothers for two decades. And whenever you see twos in these stories, they often are reflective of the 2,000 years, this time of the Gentiles, between Yeshua's first advent and his uh, second advent. His garment was dipped in blood. It was presented to his father. So when his father saw the goat's blood, in the father's mind, he saw the blood of his son. And the father tore his garments. That was a sign of mourning. And in Matthew 27, 51, we're told that when Yeshua died, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, as if God is, is rending his clothes in grief over the death of his son. Then chapter 39, we see that Joseph was tempted, but did not sin. But he was punished for the sins of others. And we're told he is filled with grace and kindness. Chapter 40. Again, mediator between God and man. He was, he, uh, he was commission, commissioned one he had rescued. Remember that when he interpreted the cupbearer's dream, he told the cupbearer, now when you go before Pharaoh, remember me to him. In other words, I'm commissioning you. I've rescued you, but I'm commissioning you to tell someone else about me. He gives new meaning to bread and wine. Remember, he interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. The cupbearer takes the wine to Pharaoh, the baker prepares the bread for Pharaoh. And when you look at the details of these dreams about the cupbearer and the baker, about wine and bread, we get some new details that apply and give us insight into the blood and body of Yeshua, our Passover lamb. Chapter 41. He was 30 years old when he entered public service. Luke 3.23 also tells us that Yeshua was 30 years old when he entered into his public service as a rabbi. His exaltation was dependent upon suffering. He was second only to the king. He takes a Gentile bride. By his word, all people are sustained. He predicts seven years of trouble, famine, or we might say tribulation, which is simply an old King James word for trouble. He becomes the savior of the world. It wasn't just his brothers and and uh, the people of Canaan he saved. He saved Egypt and all the, the people groups around Egypt. They came to Egypt to buy food. He sustained the known world at that time. And the king commands everyone, go to him. And the father commands people, go to Messiah, go to him. Chapter 42, he's made ruler over the earth, was the source and provider of life to all. His brethren come to him during seven years of tribulation. He was not recognized by his brethren, but he recognized them. You know, Yeshua today is not recognized by the vast majority of Jewish people. To them, Yeshua is like this Gentile God. He's this Gentile one. But um, the truth of the matter is he is their brother. And uh, he recognizes them, and he's, he's, he's calling them to himself. 
and the day is coming when he will reveal himself to them. He did not reveal himself immediately, though. He feigned harshness toward his brothers. He spoke through an interpreter. And even today, how does Messiah speak to us? Through an interpreter. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his spirit. But there will be a day coming when we see him face to face and we hear his voice. And we're told that Joseph wept. In fact, more than once he wept. Chapter 43. The rescue was delayed twice. Again, here's a picture, I think, of the 2,000 years. This reminds me of uh, when Yeshua was going from Capernaum with his disciples to Jerusalem. And they had planned to go around Samaria because Jews just simply did not go to Samaria. We just avoided that place. But Yeshua says, it's necessary for me to go to Samaria. And when he was there, he met the woman at the well. And what did they do, these Samaritans, these people who are not considered Jews, they were considered worse than Gentiles. What did he do? We're told there in John's gospel, they spent two days with him. So he leaves the Jewish people. He goes among these Gentile Samaritans for two days. And then he goes on to Jerusalem to reveal himself. So uh, again, you see these twos that are pictures of these 2,000 years, this time of the Gentiles. Now, let's get right into this episode's Torah portion. In Genesis 41-43, it tells us about how uh, Joseph was elevated by Pharaoh and he was given Pharaoh's garment and his ring and a, a golden necklace of some sort. And he's put in Pharaoh's second chariot. It says, and he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Avrech. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. This Avrech is uh, found only here in the Torah. And it's generally translated Neol. And that's probably a good translation for this word. A word that, as far as we know, is an Egyptian word, but spelled out in Hebrew letters. So why is it important for us to be told this word that was called out by the, the runners who went before his chariot as it, it went through the streets and the people would be told to kneel to Joseph? Well, there's something very interesting about this word. It's spelled Aleph Beit Resh Kuf. And when we take this word and divide up into small pairs of letters, we find that each combination, no matter how we slice it, has some deep meaning to it. The first two letters, Aleph and Beit, spell the word Father. The second and third letters, Beit and Resh, spell the word Son, Bar, Son. The third and fourth letters, the last two letters of the word, spell Rech, which mean tenderness. But then if we take the first three letters together, Aleph, Beit, Resh, it spells Ever, which means the mighty one. And if we take the second, third, fourth letters, it's Barach, which means to bless. So we see the Father, the Son, tenderness, the mighty one, and to bless. And when we kneel before our master, we bless the mighty one who has tenderness towards us because he's the son of the father. I mean, these, these, these themes that are packed into this one little four-letter word are pretty incredible. Now, 
Pharaoh gave Joseph a new name. In Genesis 41:45, we're told, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephnat Paneach. Zephnat Paneach. And there you can see how it's spelled out in Hebrew letters. But this is an Egyptian name, make no mistake. Now, this word Paneach, this second word, it's in Egyptian, it would be spelled or pronounced more like Paonch. Unk, because these last three letters spell the word unk. And many of you be, will be familiar with this Egyptian word because this word, which means life, is also a symbol that we find in Egyptian iconography. And there you can see three of them circled in these uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics. It looks like a capital T with like an egg-shaped loop resting on top. And it means life. And so he named Joseph uh, Zephanat Paneach or Paunk because he is the one who gives life. Here's what the word means or the name means. Savior of the age, savior of the world, giver of nourishment of life, prince of the life of the age. So this Egyptian name certainly encaptures or encapsulates uh, who Joseph was, and in addition to who Yeshua is, the Savior of the world. It's really quite stunning to look at these details and see how Joseph pictures our Messiah. Well, one more. In Genesis 42.5, it says, Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So when Jacob sends his other ten sons, he didn't send Benjamin, but uh, Joseph's in Egypt. He keeps Benjamin back, but he sends his other ten sons into Egypt. This is the first place in the Bible where Jacob's descendants are referred as B'nai Yisrael. This is a very common title for the children of Israel, B'nai Yisrael. But this is the first time. Why is this significant? They could have been called B'nai Yisrael chapters earlier, when God first changed Jacob's name to Israel. His sons could have been called B'nai Yisrael. But for some reason, God ordained that at this point, when the brothers are going to stand before Joseph, to encounter Joseph, who is in a position of rulership, though they don't recognize him yet, it's at this point that God calls them B'nai Yisrael. Who is Israel? Well, Israel is Jacob. After he had wrestled with God, after he had encountered God, Remember, he wrestled with the angel, and the angel changed his name and says, Not Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And Jacob named that place Penuel, which means face of God. For I've seen God face to face, yet my life is preserved, he says. These sons are about to have a face to face encounter with their brother Joseph, who is a picture of Messiah. And as Jewish people come to a face-to-face -face encounter with Messiah, when they encounter him finally, 
And when they wrestle with who this man is, who came and lived and died and rose again from the dead, when they come to wrestle with who Yeshua truly is, then they too are like Israel, wrestling with God, coming to recognize who our God is. And so at this point, they're called B'nai Yisrael. Let us pray that our Jewish brothers and sisters may quickly and soon come to recognize Yeshua as their elder brother, as their Messiah and Savior. And uh, we live in an exciting time when that is happening on a grand scale. So I hope these few little insights are a blessing to you. And I really look forward to talking to you during our next episode of Parsha Seasonings. But until then, I wish you shalom and may God bless. Roger that.